we finally come to the critical text for the topics of science and faith, Genesis 1-11. Unfortunately, we cannot cover every aspect or detail, but I hope that what you will learn will be encouraging, challenging and help equip you to know what God's Word says. You may never have considered how important these chapters are to the rest of the Bible, but I assure you, they are crucial for every Christian to understand. There are many, even in the Church, who dismiss, deny, or teach these chapters in a way that is detrimental to the text and to the faith. Some say these chapters are myth, or based on the myths of the ancient Near East, or that they are full of nice principles, but not historically reliable, and certainly not history. Some view them as poetic, but not reliable history. This is a massive charge against God's Word. What is the truth? The backdrop and context of what Moses wrote in Genesis 1-11 was the ancient Near East. They did have their mythologies, and stories of where the world and humanity came from, more later. But what Moses wrote was straightforward historical narrative. Blue numbers in original, several lines of evidence demonstrate that this introductory section of Scripture is to be understood as history. First, the Hebrew Vav consecutive verb forms used in Genesis 1, and continuing through the rest of the book, are characteristic of Hebrew narrative, but not of Hebrew poetry. Second, Genesis 1 does not have the dominant characteristic of Hebrew poetry, namely parallelism, where the truth in the first part of a verse is repeated in different ways in the second part, for example, Psalms 19 1, 30 10, 32 1, 37 1, 103 1. But those who hold to the framework view claim there is a different kind of parallelism in Genesis 1 that should lead us to conclude that Genesis 1 is not straightforward history. They say that days 1-3 describe the created space and days 4-6 discuss the creatures that fill those spaces, where day 1 is linked to day 4, day 2 to day 5, and day 3 to day 6. But this claimed parallelism only works if one overlooks the details of the text. The heavenly bodies made on day 4 were placed in the expanse, which was made on day 2, not day 1. The sea creatures made on day 5 filled the water, which was made on day 1, of the seas, which was formed on day 3, not day 2 and nothing was made on day 6 to fill the seas, which were made on day 3. There are many more serious exegetical problems with the framework view.23. Third, Genesis 1-11 has the same characteristics of historical narrative as Genesis 12-50, most of Exodus, much of Numbers, Joshua, 1 and 2 Kings, etc. Genesis 1-11 describes real people by name, real events in their lives, real places and geographical areas by name, 24 real times, days, months, years 25, etc. Fourth, the eleven Toledoths, these are the generations of, sprinkled through Genesis tie the whole book together as a unit, and no truly evangelical Bible scholar doubts that Genesis 12-50 is history. Fifth, in every case that Jesus, New Testament authors, and Old Testament authors referred to the events in Genesis 1-11, they always treated the text as straightforward, literal history and they all knew the difference between truth and myth.26 Jesus referred to Genesis more than any other book, and the Gospels record him saying it is written 30 times and have you not read? 11 times in reference to all three divisions of the Ot, the Law, Pentateuch, Prophets, and Psalms, for example, Luke 24:44. This shows that Jesus' default hermeneutic was, just read it, it means what it says.27 Even most old earth proponents recognize that Genesis 1-11 is history.28 and virtually all Christians prior to the 19th century read it that way. So there are many good biblical and historical reasons for taking Genesis 1-11 as literal history in which all the details matter and are inerrant. Given that fact, we need to look carefully at those details. 1. We must look at these chapters, and all of Scripture based on how the writers and author viewed what they wrote, when they wrote it. Moses wrote Genesis. 
Did he see it as myth? No. Did he only want to write a mere poem about creation to counter the rampant paganism that the Israelites had been exposed to for many years? No. Did he write these first eleven chapters of God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible book just to tell them and us some nice stories or principles? No. Did Moses, rather. Did God lead Moses to write something so difficult to understand, that they and we would be confused? No. Would God make it so hard to understand that there could be numerous possible meanings? No. Or did he, guided and inspired by the Holy Spirit, write down a historically reliable and basic account of what God did in creation, to counter the myths of his day, and make it understandable to them and to us? Yes. Much more could be said. Read Genesis 1-5 please and then continue with the notes. A Days of Creation We begin with the days of creation. We will look at various views of creation in a later class, as each view is based on how one defines days. As we read Genesis 1-11, some may wonder why God didn't give more details? Why didn't God explain how He did it, other than speaking creation into existence out of nothing? There are a few reasons for this, and more than I have included below. First, the Bible is not a science book. It speaks about science and creation a lot, but God did not give us His Word to answer every scientific question. God has provided scientists who are Christians to help, but there will be mysteries He has not revealed. Second, we do need to put this in an ancient Near East context. There were many creation myths in the ancient world as mentioned. Babylon, Egypt, Samaria and others had their mythology about where the world and everything came from. While there are some similarities to Genesis, there are many differences, as you just read. Genesis is not myth, but it is written as historical narrative, given and guided by God. We can trust what it says is accurate, and do our best to understand it. Third, the questions that the Israelites asked when this was written by Moses around 1450 BC, were not the questions we ask today. We have the benefit of having the Bible in our own language, and for centuries. The Israelites didn't have that, as God's revelation was just beginning to be written down. Now, to the text. In the days of creation week, there is a structure. In days 1 to 3, there is forming, and in days 4 to 6 there is filling. It is a very logical progression. Something must be livable before life can live there. God had to create the water, land, and plants to sustain the stars, animals, and humans He placed there. Here is an illustration. With this in mind, let's look in more detail at the text. 1. The Forming of Creation, Genesis 1 1 1-13. The forming of creation includes days 1, 2 and 3. Before God spoke, there was nothing. God created out of nothing or ex nihilo. Therefore, before God created the universe and all therein, only He existed. There was no time, matter, space, atoms, molecules, or anything other than Himself before creation. Then we read verse 1, which summarizes the creation account. This was a common way of Jewish writing. They gave an overview and then filled in the details. 1 to 1, in the beginning God. So opens the Bible the comprehensive book written over a 1,500-year period by 40 human writers, on three continents and three languages. While men wrote the text, God guided them as they wrote and therefore, He is the author of the Bible. Moses begins with the declaration that God exists, and He is the Creator. Beginning refers to the creation week and not the beginning of God's existence. God, created the heavens and the earth, the heavens, our atmosphere and outer space, and earth, the sphere and land where we live. Application God created the universe. This contradicts the evolutionary concepts, timeline, philosophy and more. This means He has authority, power, and dominion over all His creation. This means He is not part of His creation but separate from it, which confronts the worldview of pantheism that says, God is everything. 
This means he is involved in the events of history. This means all of humanity is accountable to him. For those who enjoy science, and if you are in another of my classes, you have seen this, but I have to say it again because it is fascinating. Verse 1 contains the five elements of physics, time, force, action, space, matter. However, there is one other element of science that we read about. What is that? Light. In verse 3, God speaks light into existence. So, let's put this together, in the beginning. Time. God. Force, the one who created. Created. Action. The heavens. Space. And the earth. Matter. Let there be light. Light or energy. The study of science involves every area within three verses in the Bible, and most of them in the first verse. These are the building blocks of science, in the beginning. A. Day 1 to 1 to 2 to 5. 1 to 2 to 3 dash, Earth was without form and void, in Hebrew tohu wabohu. It means it wasn't finished being shaped and not inhabited by creatures. It does not mean chaos. Jeremiah 4:23 uses the same Hebrew phrase. The, deep, means the earth was covered by water. This is before the creation of land. The text tells us the meaning of deep at the end of the verse, waters because it's the same phrase. The Holy Spirit was involved in creation, two persons of the triune God. John 1 and Colossians 1 state that Jesus, the Son was involved in creation as well. Creation and salvation involve each person of the Trinity. Then in verse 3, as stated, God created light by His command. It did not need anything to contain it, but it simply was. What was this light? We are not told. Even if God told us what this light was and how it functioned, we would probably not understand because it would be so complex, not even the most intelligent scientists with the best computers could figure it out. Application, this is the God we worship. This is the God who sent His Son to die for our sins. This is the God whom we commit to when we turn from our sin and put our faith in Christ. This is the God who spoke, and the universe was. Creation is spoken of so often in the Bible because it displays His power. It also shows that the creation obeyed the Creator. How much more, as His children as the Church, should we obey His commands that He has given to us? In context of course. 1-4-5, God saw the light and it was good and separated the darkness from the light, calling light, day and dark, night. Then, literally in the Hebrew it's, and evening was, and morning was, a day, one. The word day in Hebrew is yom, can mean different things based on the context. Once again, we see context is critical. It can mean a period of time such as, the day of the Lord, which lasts longer than a day. It can mean a general idea, such as, remember that time we went on vacation. Or when someone says, back in my day. These are a few ways this one word is used in Hebrew. We must remember to interpret Scripture in its normal, natural sense. The most common definition of Yom is a 24-hour period. However, when you see day with morning and evening and or a number, it always means a 24-hour period outside of Genesis 1. Why would we question it in Genesis 1 if it is used this way throughout the rest of the Old Testament? God wanted to make sure we didn't miss what He was saying, so He added, day, night, morning, evening. This means the universe is not billions, nor millions, nor hundreds of thousands of years old. To take the verses at face value, means earth is thousands of years old. God created the earth, water, night, time, and day, or light. He began the rotation of earth, which is where there is evening and morning. This is the foundation for creation. b. Day 2-1-6-8. to God created the air, firmament or atmosphere, and divided the waters below it and above it and called it heaven. This heaven is the atmosphere of the earth. The waters below covered the earth, as the land wasn't created yet. The waters above are the air we breathe.
This was one of the heavens. In the Bible there are three heavens, our atmosphere, or heaven, space, where the planets are, the heavens, where God lives, or the heaven of heavens. This is a logical next step. C. Day 3-1-9-13. Next, God created, 1. Land, calling it earth and gathered the waters together, calling them 2. Seas. God created, 3. Grass, 4. Herbs yielding seed and 5. Fruit trees. In a word, vegetation. Here we see an important phrase, after its kind, this is a reference to something that produces the same thing. The plants had, seed in itself, the fruits contain the seed that would grow another same kind of tree. Application, an apple tree doesn't produce oranges. A palm tree doesn't produce grapes, which grow on a vine. God said His creation was good. He took pleasure in it. God created dry land, formed the seas, created vegetation, trees, plants and gave them the ability to reproduce after their kinds, or types of plants. This makes sense. The land was created first, and the things that grow on the land, or plants, came next. Day 3 completes the forming of creation. Now God starts to put things in that creation or fill it, over the next three days, or days 4 to 6. 2. The filling of creation, Genesis 1 14-2-3. A. Day 4-1-14-19. God created one. Lights, we could call these the stars, or something else in space. The Hebrew word means light-bearer. Remember, light already existed, but now there was something to contain that light. These were set in space to separate night from day, for, signs and seasons, and for days and years, they give us a way to measure the seasons, spring, summer, fall, winter, and autumn. It also gave a fixed position, for humans, who were not created yet, to navigate. The sailors of old used the stars to navigate and figure out their location. The Earth's rotation around the Sun determines the seasons and the stars give us the ability to navigate. They all have a purpose. 2. Two great lights, the Sun to rule the day and Moon to rule the night. 3. Stars, this is a different Hebrew word and could mean stars or planets. In either case it's humorous how God had Moses write it, God made, the stars also. It may be additional or different stars, like nebulas, but the fact that it's almost casually mentioned expresses God's ability to create. Creating stars was nothing to him. These lights in space were also created to give light to the earth. God also made the sun and moon. The sun gives light and heat, and the moon reflects light. The sun rules the day and moon rules the night. These separate light from darkness. Question, how can there be light before the sun was created? We are not told. Some say God was the light. Maybe, but God can speak light into existence without the sun. He did. How God did this is a mystery, and while we can try to figure it out, anything will be a guess, because we are not told. B. Day 5-1-20-23. God created one. Living creatures in the water, fish, whales, dinosaurs, crabs, lobsters, sharks, etc. Two. Birds, all birds. The Hebrew word means flying creatures, so this too would include flying dinosaurs. Application, you may be wondering why I am including dinosaurs. Why not? While we will address this specifically in a future class, why wouldn't we include them here? If we are going to start with the Bible, then there is no reason not to include them, because they are living creatures. We may dismiss the dinosaurs as because we have been influenced by evolutionary thought. Each creature was made, according to their kind, birds gave birth to birds and sharks gave birth to sharks, etc. God saw it was good, blessed them and the animals multiplied. By day 5, everything was made that was needed to sustain life, then God created life. Day 5 focuses on the water and our atmosphere. 
fish and water living mammals were created. Every kind of winged bird was made. In verse 21, God created great sea creatures and living creatures that move or swarm in the water. His command was to be fruitful and multiply. C. Day 6-124-31. Day 6 is the last day of God's creative work. There is more detail given for this day than any other. That is understandable. Day 5 focused on the sea, and day 6 focused on the land. God created one. Living creatures on the land, cattle, creeping things, beasts of the earth, elephants, horses, land dinosaurs, and God saw it was good. Once again, we see that God made them after their kind. This is a general statement about dogs, elephants, cows, horses, cats, ants, snakes, spiders, and land-walking dinosaurs. A kind is a type of a plant or animal, and you can study that more on your own, though some say the closest classification we have as species. 2. God made man in his image. The Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit said, let us make man an image. Application, this is a reference of plurality within the singular God, one God in three persons, based on relationship. The word for God in these verses is Elohim which is a plural word for the singular word El. El is the basic word used for God. This is a plurality of His Majesty, as well as showing the discussion within Himself about the creation of man. God created Adam and Eve on the sixth day. This is the apex of creation. Adam and Eve are the only beings made in His image. God created Adam and Eve, in His, God's, image. Question, what does this mean? There is a lot to this. It's an amazing topic to study, and you can study until the end of your life, and still not fully comprehend it. First, this does not mean we are little gods. Second, it does mean that like God, we can think, feel, make choices, be creative, communicate, relate to others, and in a limited sense, create. But on a deeper level, Adam and Eve were created holy, righteous, just, pure, and while Adam and Eve, had the opportunity to sin, they were not sinners. God blessed them and told them to fill the earth and to subdue it. This is called the dominion mandate, still in effect today. This is wisely using the earth's resources in a proper way to satisfy the needs humans have. This is a topic that sadly, has been misunderstood and even used as a basis for a lot of false doctrine. This is not talking about taking control over the world, or the culture, or the spiritual realm. God defines this mandate in verses 28-30. 1. Be fruitful and multiply, have lots of children. 2. Fill the earth, spread out all over the world. 3. Subdue the earth, take care of it and use it for your own purposes. 4. Rule or have dominion over the animals, take care of them and use them as needed. Adam and Eve, whom we will get to next, and their descendants were to be sub-rulers under God's authority. The authority God gave to Adam and Eve, and by extension us, is to have kids, spread out, be a good steward of the world and use what God has given for the betterment of humanity. This includes taming animals, using them for agriculture, using the natural resources of the earth to benefit people, and being good stewards of creation. Applications, this was and is, God's command, yet what do we hear in media, from politicians, scientists, and others? We need to stop having children, stop using what is on earth, and more. While we should be wise with what we do with creation and be as prepared as we can be to have children, though you can never be totally prepared, overpopulation is not something God is concerned about. God gave Adam, Eve, and the animals every herb and fruit to eat. In the beginning Adam and Eve were vegetarians. No one ate meat because there was no death before sin. One way we know this is because of what 131, where everything was very good. That was the end of the sixth day of creation. Chapter 2 gives details about day 6.
God created Adam from dirt, by his hands so to speak. He was placed into the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. Adam named the animals, which is part of the Dominion mandate, but a helper was not found. Adam was put to sleep by God, who took a rib, and then formed Eve from it. While God spoke into existence the stars, land, plants, and animals, only mankind was made in God's image, and formed by His hand, like the potter forms the clay. Applications, they were made by a loving, holy, perfect God, who even today, still knits together people in their mother's womb, starting at conception. No one is a mistake. God directly, personally, and intimately was involved in the creation of Adam and Eve. There is no reason not to take these verses other than what they say and take them literally. God formed them personally. Also, God gave Adam and Eve a job, take care of the garden. Work existed before the fall of Adam and Eve into sin. Work was not the result of sin. God made us to work. Part of being a human means we have a task or tasks to do. Part of being a Christian means that we have specific tasks given to us by God that He created us to fulfill, Ephesians 2:10. Biblically, a lazy Christian is being disobedient to God. Those who cannot work should be helped. Those who will not work need to be rebuked. 2 Thessalonians 310 10-12, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat, either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now we command and exhort such persons in the Lord Jesus Christ to work peacefully and eat their own bread. That brings us to Genesis 2. The differences between Genesis 1 and 2 have led some within the church to think they are two separate creation accounts. This led to a lot of confusion historically, but when you understand it from a Jewish and linguistic point of view, it makes perfect sense. Remember, Hebrew writing often gave a summary of a text first, and then gave the details. We see this with Genesis 1-1, and then the rest of chapter 1 gives details. After giving a review in 2-1-3, Genesis 2-4-25 gives more details about day 6 of creation. It is not a separate narrative, but more details about the sixth day. When you understand this aspect of hermeneutics, this text and others make perfect sense. Why did God lead Moses to write this way? He wanted to highlight the creation of Adam and Eve, or mankind. D. Day 7-2-1-3. God rested from His work. This doesn't mean God was tired, but that He completed His work and stopped. He blessed and sanctified this day. While there is no ending to God's rest, this is where we get the seven-day week from. However, Jesus said God was still at work, John 14, through Jesus. One thing God constantly stated in the text is that what He created was, good. At the end of day 6, God through Moses said everything was very good. On day 7, God ceased or rested from His work. This brings up some very important theological topics. If everything was very good, and if evolution is true, or a form of creation other than the six literal days that some hold to, then how could death, suffering and pain be very good too? That makes God look like a sadist, or one who enjoys inflicting pain on others. That is not God's character. We need to understand that ideas have consequences, and what we believe about God is connected to what we believe about creation and other texts that declare His character. While His character is inexhaustible, and we will never know everything about Him, we should think critically and ask if our views on each topic or doctrine, reflect Him. Do they reflect Him properly or improperly? Now, in part 2 of the notes we will explore Adam in even more detail, and look at the fall, the consequences, and creation accounts from other cultures. Dash. 1. Terry Mortensen, Searching for Adam, Genesis and the Truth About Man's Origin, Green Forest, Arkansas, Master Books, 2016, 142-143.